Wendell's World in Sports, a sports talk podcast you should be knowing. When my talent on the mic still flowing, showing that my podcast keeps growing, that my reins on the top will be longer and stronger than Romans. So acknowledge me and abolish any idea of an overthrow. Don't you know for certain that situation will worsen? Carrying such a heavy burden, your broadcasting career will be curtains like being in the open court and trying to guard Tyrese Halliburton. If you misbehave, I'll take you on the small talk escapade rather than Janet's. My planet where the word is set in stone and granted that you make battling me a habit. Each time it's over, you'll be shaking your head and muttering and stuttering. God damn it. I'm that guy killing you like Kawhi. I'm a clipper slicing and dicing the competition like Jack the Ripper, scoring on the mic like the Big Dipper, a Will Chamberneasy. Making it look oh so easy. In my podcast, I get nuggets that are better than Denver, making you quickly surrender. Devastating like a pick and roll from Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. A verbal flurry that will make the competition scurry in a hurry. Run for the hills, the mountains, and other terrains. At the reins of gems that I spit from my lips to equip you with knowledge that's just bananas. I've got more junk in my podcasting trunk than the AEW's J of Anna. So I want this to be clear. What you hear about the best sports talk podcast year after year, no deceiving or misbelieving, when it comes to my podcast, Maxwell Jacob Friedland, a.k.a. MJF, <laughs> he said it the best. But I'm better than you, and you know it! Wendell's World of Sports. Download, subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast you can ever listen to. Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? Well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up. Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lynn Baez, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. Shalom, wassalam alaikum, konnichiwa, namaste, good morning, good abend, bonjour, bonsoir, que passa. Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of great things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. As always, before I begin, I hope everybody is doing fantastic, doing what you need to do to make your world, to make your neighborhood, to make your community, to make your street, to make your avenue, to make your city, to make your state, to make your household, to make your place of employment, to make your classroom a better place to be. How do we do that? Love, peace, unity, harmony, respect, understanding of those of a different race, those of a different gender, those of a different political 
of affiliation, those of a different religious background, those from the different side of the tracks, those from the different sides of the globe. Um, if you're down with me, man, I don't give a damn what religion. I don't give a damn if you love, if you worship a god or not. I don't give a damn where you're from. I don't give a damn what your gender is. I don't give a damn what your race is. I don't give a damn how much money you have in your bank account. I don't give a damn where you live. I don't give a damn how many cars you have. I don't give a damn anything about your job. If you're going to show me love, peace, unity, harmony, and understanding, and show the world that, if that's who you are, everything else, my ladies and gentlemen, is completely irrelevant. That's the problem with this world today. Too much division based on who's your God, based on which party are you for, based on what country are you from, based on what language do you speak first, based on uh, what's your ethnicity, based on what's your gender, based on what gender do you identify with. Too, of that, too much of that nonsense, too much of those roadblocks. I remove all those roadblocks if you just show me love, peace, unity, and understanding, empathy, sympathy, when or my brothers and sisters need it. So there you go, man. So I hope that's the deal coming from there. And also the other thing that I ask is for my podcast sake and for my sake, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, iHeart, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, do me a favor, will you? Download, subscribe, rate and review the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast. If you could do that for me, Wendell Wallace Jr. would be the happiest human being Walk in the face of the earth. All right, here we go, Ben. Let's go ahead and start what's happening on the show. Here's one thing I'm not going to be doing. Here's the one thing that I'm not going to be talking about so much today, which is going to be the NFL. Yeah, I know. I know the combine is here. I know all this nonsense, man. But look, the Super Bowl and the regular season just ended a short time ago. I want to get to my, I want to get to my Halle Berry. I want to get to my Layla Roshan. I want to get to my Jada Fire. I want to get to my Monica Bellucci. I want to get to my Selma Hayek. I want to get to my wifey. I want to get to the one that I love the most in terms uh, sports teams and sports leagues are concerned. I want to get to my NBA. I want to speak about the loves of my life, the Georgetown Hoyas. That's what I want to speak about today. I want to speak about court storming and what we can do about all that. Those are the things I want to speak about today. Look, look, just to satisfy you, I'll give you a little bit of taste. Here, here's the thing, man. The NFL draft is happening in, oh, I don't know, almost, what now, two months? I'm recording this on a um, Tuesday afternoon, right before my Georgetown Hoyas get their asses whooped by Villanova, probably. Um, so I'm doing this on the Tuesday, February 27th. The draft isn't until later on in April. And we've got so much time to be speaking about which quarterback is going to where and who's going to be drafted. And look, the combine, Caleb Williams isn't throwing and Marvin Harrison Jr. said that he's not going to be working out for anybody and blah, blah, blah. We've got so much time. I know this is the dog days of sports right now, especially for those who are just, you know, who are just thirsting or just starving for some NFL. I know that you guys are still going through withdrawals, and I'm quite sure you can say right now, the dog days of the NBA, the dog days of college of basketball, Major League Baseball hasn't started off yet, the dog days of uh, hockey, we really haven't had a blockbuster a fight, we haven't had a blockbuster boxing match, even though April 20th, Devin Haney versus uh, Ryan Garcia, that's definitely going to be something that I'm going to be dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie and dancing in the street about with, um, like I was Martha and the Vandellas. So look, Right now, it's just kind of like the dead period, but I still want to go ahead and speak about my main stuff, which is the NBA and, and, and the uh, Georgetown Hoyas. So, look, 
we'll have plenty of time. I don't even know what to do. I mean, are we going to be doing this every week in terms of, is this what you want me to do every single week? Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. What are the Chicago Bears going to do with the number one draft pick? I heard Justin Fields come out and say that he wants all this stuff to end. Should he remain with the Chicago Bears or should he remain or should the uh, Chicago Bears go ahead and trade him? What's going to be happening with Drake May? What's going to be happening with Jaden Daniels? What's going to be happening with J.J. McCarthy? What's going to be happening with Michael Penix Jr.? What's going to be happening with Bo Nix? Where are they going to be going? Are they going to be going in the first round? Which team needs him? I mean, there's so much stuff. There's so much information. There's so much knowledge that needs to be gained through physicals, through workouts, through wonderlick tests, that's just going to be, that we're going to be having to break this down every single week, every single time that something happens with the, um, leading up to this NFL draft. I know that we got the free agency is concerned, the Cincinnati Bengals put the franchise tag on T. Higgins, what does that mean moving forward? You know, all, all this stuff will have plenty of time to talk about. We will, I guarantee you. I guarantee you. But right now, I just want to go ahead and talk about my um, talk about what's happening this past week in college basketball. And I gave you a little something about um, about the NFL, right? So with the combine coming up, maybe next week I'll dive into it in terms of what does it mean that Caleb Williams is now going to participate in any of the drills with the uh, at the combine? What does that mean? Well, we're going to be answering the question: how how much of a leader is Caleb Williams? Because near the end of his tenure. At USC, the former Heisman Trophy winner who had a subpar season compared to what he did the year that he won the Heisman Trophy, there were situations where, you know, we started nitpicking. Oh my goodness gracious, he didn't talk to the media after the game. The guy's not a leader. Oh my goodness gracious, did you see that guy after our game crying in his mother's arms? Oh my goodness, he's soft. So we can either play it that way if you don't like Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is a loser and he's soft. What's my evidence to say that he's a loser and he's soft? He's a loser because he's not a good teammate because after a game, he didn't answer questions. So it's a matter of when things are great, he throws his face in front of the cameras and microphones and talk about himself all the time. But when they lose, all of a sudden now the cameras can't find him. That to me doesn't sound like a winner. That sounds like a loser. So those who are down on Caleb Williams, they're going to pile on that. Then they're going to be speaking about he's a loser because of that. And he's soft because after a football game, he's crying to his mommy. What football player? A man sport, right? This is a man sport. And you got this guy, the leader of our team, the guy that the fan base and the season ticket holders want to have be the face of the franchise. And after a football game in which he loses, he's going to cry to his mommy. What's going to be happening when things get tough? Caleb, you're not going to have the opportunity to cry to your mommy, especially if you get drafted by the Chicago Bears. If you think losing at USC is going to be hard, crying to your mommy is going to be like an everyday thing almost, or an every week thing for the first couple of years if you get drafted by the Chicago Bears. So, you know, if you hate Caleb Williams, that's the thing that you're going to pile on. But if you love Caleb Williams, you think that he's going to be a franchise quarterback and you think that he's great and being a hometown kid from um, the Washington, D.C. area, the DMV, went to school at Gonzaga, you're going to sit there. If you're going to want to defend him, you're going to say, what about that pre- What about that passion, huh? Here's a guy who gets it. Here's a guy who cares. Here's a guy who cares so much that he became so emotional that he had to run to his mommy. Now, he can grow out of that. The kid's, what, 21, 22 years old? Hey, we can grow out of that, which means, number one, he has a good foundation because he comes from a two-parent home in which he gives lots of love to his mother, 
and also the fact that this guy cares. So this guy, we don't have to worry about this guy only playing football because he wants a paycheck. We don't have to worry about this guy playing football because all he wants is the attention. We don't want this guy, or we're going to want this guy because this guy is going to really care not just about playing football, not just about putting up good numbers, but also because of winning and losing. I love it. And those who think the glass is half full on Caleb Williams will also say this. I would rather have to teach a guy out of caring too much rather than try to teach a guy how to care at all. So if Caleb Williams was a guy who instead of running to his mom, he was like, fuck it, how many times, let me see, how many, uh, how many yards did I throw for? After a loss, if Caleb Williams is like, how many yards did I throw for? All right, perfect, wonderful. My number one draft status is still A-OK. Those checks from Dr. Pepper, are they still going to be coming to me? All right, why do I give a damn if, I, uh, if the team wins or loses or not? I don't give a fuck. As long as I'm putting up numbers to have me selected number one and those paychecks from NIL keep coming in, why do I give a damn? I'm going to be out of here in five games anyway, so screw y'all. So I would rather teach, I would rather try to work on a, on a player who cares too much. Like, damn, man, it's only one, it's only one game. I know the season hasn't been the way it's gonna that, that we wanted it to be, but all right, man, come on, you can get, you can do it. This, that, and the other, you know, you calm down a little bit. It ain't the end of the world. You just gotta work harder. You just gotta do this. You just gotta do that. I would appreciate trying to do that rather than try to come with somebody and say, "Hey, look, I, I know that you're playing football because of all the perks." And that you really don't love playing football and you really don't care about wins or losses again as long as the uh, paychecks keep coming in. But let's see what we can do to try to get you to care. I'd rather do the uh, I would rather do the first than the second. So that is just to say that, man, there's, there's a whole lot of stuff. There's a whole lot of other things that we can be discussing with the NFL with Drake May and Jaden Daniels and how good was he at the, the Jaden Daniels won the Heisman Trophy and blah, blah, blah. What does that mean moving forward? And also you have to remember, and I'll, this is my last point. This is my last point when it comes to the uh, NFL, when it comes to NFL discussion on this podcast. And don't turn it off after I'm done with this either, chump. <laughs> but here's the deal. Look, history shows us, right? There is a precedent that shows that quarterbacks who are drafted somewhere in the top five, top eight, top 10, top 13, that they don't make it with their first team. They, they don't stay with their team that drafted them after their first contract. There's a lot more, there's a lot more Marcus Mariota's, Jameis Winston's, Baker Mayfield's, Josh Rosen, uh, Trey Lance's, um, uh, oh, the, 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 uh, the backup now for the San Francisco 49ers who played at USC. Oh, Sam Darnolds, yeah, thank you, Sam Darnolds. There's a lot more quarterbacks who fall under that category who were drafted high other than quarterbacks like a Joe Burrow or a Trevor Lawrence. So what I'm trying to say is there's a lot more quarterbacks who get drafted high who are supposed to be franchise quarterbacks who fizzle out with that franchise within four or five years than there are with quarterbacks who you quickly deem are going to be franchise quarterbacks. C.J. Strouds, uh, C.J. Strouds, Trevor Lawrence, and those types. Um, those are few and far between. But there's a whole lot of Baker Mayfields. There's a whole lot of Josh Rosens. There's a whole lot of Jameis Winstons. There's a whole lot of those type of quarterbacks going on right now. So uh, there's a whole lot of Dwayne Haskins. There's a whole lot of those quarterbacks who are supposed to be the franchise quarterbacks who are supposed to be, just because you're in a position for a certain draft 
to draft the best quarterback from that draft class. That doesn't automatically mean that just because that quarterback was the best quarterback in college, that now drafting him in the NFL, he's all of a sudden now going to be able to ascend to a plane where that's going to be able to take you to a Super Bowl. That doesn't mean anything. Just because you might be the best quarterback in the draft class, that doesn't mean that you're going to be a franchise quarterback. It just means that you're the best quarterback and maybe what could be situated as the very weak quarterback class. So, look, man, Drake May, Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, J.J. McCarthy, Michael Penix Jr., and Bo Nix. When you speak about that, at least history shows us that at least two or three of them, or maybe even four, are going to fail. And my definition to fail means is that within three or four years, they're not going to be with the team that drafted them. And history also shows us between the first three quarterbacks that are going to be drafted, probably somewhere in the top six, whether it be Williams, whether it be Daniels, whether it be Drake May, that either one or two of them are not going to be on that team. So if the Chicago Bears draft uh, Caleb Williams, if my Washington Commanders draft uh, Drake May, and let's just say that the Atlanta Falcons move into a position where they can draft Jaden Daniels within the top six pick. History and precedent shows us that either May Williams or May Williams or Daniels is not going to be on that team. Either one. It could be Williams with Chicago. It could be May with uh, Washington because as we break this down, each one has their good points and each one has their bad points. And if you listen to people who have been doing this for a long, long time in terms of drafting, in terms of scouting, in terms of evaluating, they're all over the place with these quarterbacks. For the most part, Caleb Williams has good analysis, but man, people are all over the uh, place with Drake May and Jaden Daniels. So I don't know. Who knows? You don't know. We don't know. Give me a little bit more time to marinate. Give me a little bit more time to listen to some folks. Give me a little bit more time to be educated. Give me a little bit more time to uh, go over this stuff. And then we can go ahead and I can start talking about the uh, upcoming quarterbacks for this NFL draft. And you could do that for me. Thank you. Let me get to some basketball, college basketball. There's two things, man, that need to be changed. Court storming. Ugh. <laughs> Court storming. A rite of passage for us, for the uh, students, right? When you're 18 to 22-year-olds. Um, the argument I've been hearing over the last couple of days after the situation with uh, Duke and Kyle Filipowski against Wake Forest went down on a Saturday in the defendant's of those who say keep uh, court storming is a situation where it's like, look, man, I mean, hey, it's a rite of passage for the students, right? It's all, it's all about going to college. That's one of the great things about going to college is to be able to say that you participated in a situation like that. You were there when our team upset a number one team, whether it be in football or whether it be in basketball, and we had the opportunity to rush the court or to rush the field, right? Isn't that the situation that people have been coming up with? Well, I'm here to tell y'all, and I'm here to tell you, that's a straight bullshit, man. Let me tell you what you're in college to do. You're in college to make sure that your parents who paid for your college, is the, the, they got their bang for the buck. If you are going to college on federal loans, student loans, and that type of thing, that you get yourself a degree and a profession that's going to be able to have you pay off those loans. But for the most part, you go to college, 
You go to college to learn, man. Both you you, you grow in a mental state, in a physical state, in a understanding state, in a common sense state. For a lot of you folks, for a lot of these kids right now, man, it's going to be the first time that they're going to be leaving the house. It's going to be the first time that they're going to be away from the parents. It's going to be the first time that they're going to have the responsibility to get their lazy asses up out of bed and to go to school and to meet their responsibilities. It's going to be a situation where not only are they going to be going to school, but they're also going to be looking for internships. They're going to be looking for jobs to keep them they're going to be learning they're going to start the journey of how to become an adult that's what college is all about in the most part for the most part you're probably going to meet the first real love of your life possibly your wife in college right you're going to meet some of your best friends that you'll have for the rest of your life in college right for the most part you'll probably start uh putting down some 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 uh You'll, you'll, part, you'll start putting down some ties in terms of where you're going to be living, right, in, when you go to college. So all of those things are about the reasons why you go to college, to get that education, to get that degree, to learn, to grow, to become a man, blah, 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 become a woman, this, that, and the other. It's not to rush the field after your team wins or upsets a, a, a highly ranked team. Right? It's, it's, it's not the, it, college is not for you to go ahead and run onto the court. Right. That's not that's not what college is all about. So when people start talking about it's the rite of passage, it's all about becoming a it's all about the college experience. No, it isn't. That's bullshit. That's nonsense. I already told you what my definition of what uh, college is all about. And the college is also making mistakes, learning from those mistakes and what we're going to be doing not to make those mistakes again. We're all going to make mistakes. Right. I'm 54 years old. I make dumbass decisions all the time. If I live to be another, if I live another 20 to 25 years on the last day of my life when I'm going to be 80, 85 years old, I'm probably going to do or say something stupid. That's just who I am. That's what I'm all about for the most part. But the situation is that through all my mistakes and all my stupidity, and I've had a lot of, you know, I've had a lot of examples of, of doing this, that I learn how to, how to um, mitigate the situation. I learn how to make sure that I don't do that mistake again, or the mistake is not as egregious as it was before. And that's what college is all about. College is going to a party and getting drunk and doing something stupid and then coming back and saying, whoops, I ain't going to do that again. Lifelong lessons that you can learn in college. That's what college is all about. It's not about rushing the field and acting stupid and being a dumbass. So again, to get back to my point, uh, the whole situation with Duke, uh, Kyle Filipowski, was injured Saturday as a wave of Wake Forest uh, fans rushed their home court after the Demon Deacons' 83-79 victory over the number 8 Duke Blue Devils. A fan ran into Filipowski, injuring his ankle, and he had to be helped off the court by his teammates. So afterwards, John Shire and the uh, coach Steve Forbes were not happy. Steve Forbes is the coach of Wake Forest. Uh, Shire was quoted as saying, how many times does a player have to get into something where they get punched or they get pushed or they get taunted right in their face. It's a dangerous thing. Now, this is, if you remember, just over a month ago, Caitlin Clark, who I think probably is the most popular uh, athlete in college sports, and you can also say as of right now that Caitlin Clark may be top 10, maybe top 5 in terms of uh, most popular athlete in sports period, professional and pro, she was uh, she collided with the uh, with an unidentified woman on the court after an Ohio State victory over Iowa, and they wanted to run out on the court and uh, celebrate. 
great move for the women's game to actually have enough people to care that they're going to be rushing the court. That's progress. That's positive progress. In that case, in terms of the enthusiasm and the interest and the passion for college uh, women's college basketball, but uh, no bueno in terms of uh, running onto the court. So what can be done to prevent this? Now, according to analysis by ESPN, more than half of the NCAA's 32 Division One conferences say that they either have no policy on uh, court storming or that their crowd control approach covers storming without specifically mentioning it. So 11 conferences have policies for the home school that court storming should be subject to a fine under certain circumstances. For instance, the Atlantic 10, the Big East, the Big South, the Big 10, the Big 12, Conference USA, Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, the MEAC, PAC-12, WAC, Southeastern and West Coast Conferences, they also have something in place in terms of there should be consequences without saying that the um, that, that court storming would elicit those consequences. Here's the thing, man. The, I can understand the Big East. I'm just thinking to myself, I'm so glad at, well, I'm not really glad, but, you know, as of right now, Georgetown, my Georgetown Hoya playing at the uh, MCI Center or the AT&T Center or whatever whatever phone booth or whatever phone company uh, has that uh, arena right now. Um, here's the deal. With, with Georgetown, we don't have to worry about court storming. We haven't had to worry about court storming in about six or seven years. Not 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 because, uh, n- well, because number one, we suck. Um, number two, the fact that, uh, let's just say, for instance, this season, uh, we're playing the number one ranked uh, UConn Huskies right at home when they were ranked number one or they were ranked in the top five. At that time, I mean, no, I know at home this season we played Marquette when they were ranked fifth in the country, or we played Creighton at home when they're ranked somewhere in between 10, 12, 15, somewhere right there. Let's just say, for instance, the miracle of hap- miracles of all miracles happen, right? And we beat the highly ranked Yukon Huskies this season on our home floor. We beat the Marquette Warriors this season, ranked number five on our home floor. We don't even have to worry about fans storming the court. You know why? Because no one shows up for our games, right? So let's just say, for instance, that we did beat UConn. Do you know how many kids from the student section would be running out on the court? There'd probably be about 16. And I'm quite, I'm quite sure eight of them would probably have to put their books down and take their headphones off and listening to music because they probably have to be distracted by something else. Have you seen Georgetown play this season? Anybody who had to be forced to watch them play at the student section? Man, your eyes would bleed. So, yeah, so if we're speaking about court storming, if you take the whole entire arena that goes to watch Georgetown, you take away the fan base from the other team, if you're speaking about the entire arena that's cheering for Georgetown to rush on the court, we would be speaking about, what, maybe a total of 45 people? Joking, facetious, but I just had to throw in that little jab with my Georgetown Hoyas in terms of court storming is concerned. But, um, yeah, so there's policies in place without really implying that it is in, refer- it's in reference to uh, storming the court. But um, here's the deal, man, when it comes to uh, what can be done about preventing court storming in general. The consequences have to be excessive and they have to be extreme. Students, here's my idea. Students or anyone who storms the court after a game, after the game is over, the winning team will have to forfeit the game and the university itself will be uh, fined $250,000. I don't know if that would prevent it, but I know one thing, it will put those universities on high alert. 
I know those coaches would be going nuts. I'm quite sure when the timeout is coming in a tight game and you're playing Kentucky at home or you're playing um, you're playing uh, Kansas at home or you're playing UConn at home or you're playing uh, another ranked team at home, I'm quite sure that coach is going to get on the microphone or I'm quite sure the PA announcer is going to come up and remind the students who are going to be frothing at the mouth to rush the floor. I'm quite sure that he's going to be telling them students, hey, look, y'all, remember... If you guys rush the court, you will be responsible for our team losing. Do you really want to do that? You don't even have to mention, don't mention the fine. Because kids don't give a damn about the fine. We're going to be fined $250,000. The kids are like, I don't care. I ain't paying it. So why do I give a damn if you have to pay that much amount? Um, But they will care if you mention to them, hey, you motherfuckers uh, get on the court. We're going to lose this basketball game or you guys rush on the field and start tearing down the goalposts and all that kind of nonsense we're gonna lose the football game then they might change their attitude and i remember a game uh jeremy tang i believe his name is the coach for um the coach for kansas state i remember they were playing kansas in the uh, the octagon of doom i think that's what they still call the kansas state home floor and they were going to beat Kansas, and then it was near the end of the basketball game, a tight basketball game, but the outcome seemed that it was going to be going Kansas State way. Jeremy Tang actually got on the microphone and said, guys, do not, well, he didn't get on the microphone, but he motioned over to the student sections. He said, don't rush onto the court. Don't do it. Don't do it. And when the game was over and Kansas State won, they didn't do it. Now, it was much easier to control a student section at a basketball game than it is a football game, especially when you're having situations where a lot of these stadiums in college football are going to be holding over 100,000 people. It's kind of hard to be for a head coach to be talking about, hey, fellas, don't rush the field. So, uh, But, you know, you have the players who are in pads and that the other. So there's the, But I think it's a lot more dangerous when you're speaking about uh, college basketball. Again, that's the reason why I would make these fines and these um, punishments uh, to the extreme. I think that for the most part in this society, in this country, we're always so damn reactive when something happens instead of proactive. Can we be proactive? Do we have to wait for something uh, horrific or tragic incident before we really start getting serious? Do, do we have to have something uh, something serious happen to a player or a student or a referee or an arena worker before conferences really get serious about this? Because again, I, I know what the... I know when people, or I know when people who are in charge of this, they hear what my idea is, what my suggestion would be, which would be to forfeit the basketball game and have a heavy fine. I know that what they're going to say, they're going to say, well, you know, because of that, we can't really take that away from the students who are on the floor. That wouldn't be fair, blah, blah, blah. And also a situation where why go to that extreme? And I always say, hey, man, what what is it? What is stopping a student or a fan or an adult who's going to the game not to try to harm one of these players, opposing players, or referee when they're at one of these games. What What's stopping a guy, for instance, a student or a fan who the game before, are, uh, or or let's just take, take, for instance, Wake Forest and Duke, right? Well, you know, I had uh, Filipowski and Duke. I, I placed a huge wager on Duke winning a basketball game covering the points, right? And Duke didn't. 
And because of that, I lost everything. I'm a degenerate gambler. I have a gambling addiction, right? And I'm not right, and I'm not in the right state of mind to begin with. So, my goodness gracious, I put all of this money on Duke because I thought Duke was going to be able to cover, and I thought that I could recoup some of the money that I lost, and this, that, and the other. But because of that, I lost everything. Now I don't have any money to pay my mortgage or to pay my rent. I don't know what I'm going to be doing about my kids. I don't know what I'm going to be doing about my wife. I don't know. I'm, 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 you know, my job is not going to be able to do this and that and the other. So, so basically I lost. Basically I'm screwed. Basically I'm fucked. And the reason why is not because of my stupidity. It's not because of my addiction. It's not because of me. It's because of Filipowski. It's because of John Shire. It's because of all those other players. They're the reason why I'm in this situation. This is how someone with an addiction like gambling or something like that usually acts. I don't know, but that's what I've heard in terms of how they think. Oh my goodness gracious, this is horrible. You're the one to blame. You're the reason why I'm in this predicament. So I'm going to do something about it. You put me in a bad position, I'm putting you in a bad position. And if the guy becomes suicidal, if he's at that state of mind, then he's like, fuck it. Uh, before I go out, I want to try to take as many of the Duke Blue Devils with me because they are the ones that put me in this situation. They are the ones that ruined my life. They are the ones that are responsible for me to want to commit suicide. They are the ones that are responsible that my kids will no longer have a daddy, which if you're that down and down, I'm quite sure it would probably be a good thing. Or that's the reason why my wife is going to be a widow. Not because of me, not because of my addictions, not because of my impulses, not because of my bad decisions, but because of you. Costed me an opportunity to win a game. So when this game is over... Win or lose, I'm running out and I'm doing something. I'm going out with a bang, baby. What's stopping somebody from doing that at a college football game or a college basketball game? Right? And that's that's the extreme. And like I said, I know that the people will say, oh, that's just being dramatic and that will never happen and that's ridiculous. Really? Because kind of sounds ridiculous in the world that we live in that's supposed to be civilized, right? This country, we always spout about how civilized the society is, which is the reason why we don't need to be, we don't need, rules that are that excessive right lord knows that uh, no one would ever think about going into an elementary school and shooting up children right no one would think about going to a high school or a middle school and start shooting up the students right no one would think about going into a church and then praying with his parishioners and then turning around and murdering them right no one would think about going into a movie theater and shooting up people right no one would go think about going to an abortion clinic and bombing that right no one would think about blowing up a federal trade building right no not no of course not no never no mm -mm, no 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 one would try to stop stab somebody in the back at a tennis match monica sellers versus Steffi Graf. No, mm -mm, no one would ever do that. Nobody would run onto the field during a baseball game and attack the first based uh, coach, would they? No, nothing would ever happen like that. We live in a, in a, um, we live in a civilized society. We live in a civilized world. No one would ever think about going to a McDonald's and shooting up the place. No, never. Not in this country. No, no one would ever in Kayleen, Texas, go into a mall and start shooting up a bunch of, bunch of elderly people uh, who are there eating lunch. No, never. Mm -mm, no, no one would ever go to a synagogue. No one would ever go to a place where Asian Americans get together and pray and commit some type of violence acts. No, not in this country. Never. No, of course not. So, since we live in such a civilized society, no one would ever think about during a sporting event trying to really injure one of the players. And again, I'm focusing on the players. 
there's been instances where people who have been, you know, people have 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 uh, been in serious trouble in terms of stor- in terms of these court stormings, putting themselves in danger. In 2013, NC State C.J. Leslie had to lift a wheelchair-bound fan who had fallen out of his chair during a court storm away from the crowd to protect him. In 2015, Kansas State fans nearly trampled Kansas uh, coach Bill Self after an upset home win over the uh, Jayhawks. In the same incident, a student threw an elbow at Kansas forward Jamari Taylor, and a KU assistant coach put another fan in the headlock. And then the most egregious and the worst and most tragic in 2004, a court storm resulted in Arizona high school star Joe Clay suffering a stroke that left him partially paralyzed. So, So what are we talking about here? So what do we need to get to before we just say enough is enough? At the very least, do this. Just say this. You know what? Like, let's go back to um, let's go back to Duke Wake Forest, right? How about this? Wake Forest wins the game. They beat the number eight team in the country. Why not have the players run up to the student section and they can celebrate there? Or, or how about this? Why don't you stupid motherfuckers wait till the players from the opposing team is off the court? Then maybe you can go rush the uh, court. Then maybe you can do that. Make sure that you're not in harm's way of injuring somebody, right? And I know that goes back to the point where, you know, fans could get trampled, fans could get knocked over and be injured and that type of thing, arena workers and that type of thing. You know, you want to let the players and the referees out of the way. The referees could be in trouble, right? The referees could be uh, also, if you you feel that the referees tried to screw your team, you've been drinking all day and you're not of your right mind, and you feel that the referee has been trying to screw your team all day. So when we win, I'm going to get back at that referee for trying to screw my team over. So when the court storming happens, I'm not going to the mosh pit at the center of the court. I'm going straight to find out where the referees are and throw them an elbow, throw them a punch. And hey, man, you don't need a gun. You don't need a knife. You don't need a weapon to do some real damaging, to real, uh, real damage to somebody. I mean, you can run up to one of these players and hit them in the back of the neck. You could run full bore and just run them over, just 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 uh, lambaste them, you know. And that player hits his head on the floor. You don't know what could happen to this guy, right? So we we need to stop this nonsense. We we need to kind of stop with the number one. Uh, it's just a rite of passage. It's the way to go. Number two, I don't know how you would do it. I guarantee you one thing: you're faced with the consequence if these. Fans storm the court that you're going to forfeit the game. I'm quite sure the athletic directors and the coaches would find out ways to try to lessen the percentage or lessen the opportunity for these um, fans to do so. So, so it can be done. So, I, I don't want to. I don't want to hear that nonsense about oh, it can't be done and this, that, and the other. Because again, this is just going to be in a news cycle. What happened to Filipowski? This is going to mean a news cycle for, I don't know, maybe another 24 hours. And then something else will happen that's going to be stupid and we'll move on from that. And then we'll move on. Filipowski said that he's sore, but um, he's uncertain for uh, Duke's next game. So if he plays, they'll mention it and then they'll just move on. So we'll see. If I'm a coach, man, that's another thing real quick. If I'm a coach, I, I, I would just hate court storming. I don't care where I'm coaching because it shows me that well, wait a minute. You guys really didn't expect us to beat this team? 
uh, I'm the coach of this team. I recruited these players. Hell yeah, we're going to beat these guys. I would be more angry and upset possibly with my players. You guys are acting like this is supposed to be some big deal. So what we beat Kentucky? So what we beat Kansas? So what we beat uh, uh, UConn? So what in a couple of years we beat Georgetown? So what if uh, we, we, we beat, uh, you know, Kansas or Kansas State or another ranked team. So what if we beat Houston? So what if we beat Gonzaga? So what? So what? I recruited a bunch of guys who I saw play against these same guys that you're playing with. So you're going to try to tell me that those guys are so much better than you that you're going to be jumping up and down and, and, and acting, like a, acting like a damn fool by beating these guys? Nah. You know one thing? One of the greatest student sections in college basketball and it has been for decades have been has been Duke. Duke University, the Cameron Crazies, right? Those guys have their have their own nickname, right? Guess one thing that the Cameron Crazies never do. They don't rush the court. Cameron Crazies, they're not rushing the court when Duke beats a Florida State, Duke beats a Miami, Duke beats a Georgia Tech, Duke beats a Virginia, Duke, they, they don't rush the court. Why? Because they expect to win those games. Coach K doesn't have to be doing some type of nonsense or bullshit when he was coaching the belt. All right, guys, don't storm the court. Cameron Crazy are like, yeah, don't worry about it. Of course, we're not going to storm the court. We expect you guys to win. Same thing in Kansas. And you notice how the great teams, the great college basketball teams, they ain't rushing the court at Rupp Arena. They're not rushing the court at uh, Allen Fieldhouse. They're not doing that type of nonsense because they expect to win the games. So if I'm a coach... And every time we beat someone who's halfway decent, where the, the, the fans are, the, the students are running onto the court, I'm like, what the hell is this? What kind of culture are we building here? And if I have to calm down my players because they're hooping and hollering after beating a team and we got to play in another 72 hours, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> what the hell are we doing? So that, that's the thing with that. No court storming, please. Celebrate. Hey, man, when you're in the stands, celebrate, do all that crazy stuff, man. You know, do the wave, try to, within reason, now hold off on the racial slurs. Hold off on um, speaking about someone's mother or their father or their family or their sister or their brother. Hold off on that. If you have a mother that's been on crack, don't be. If the guys are coming out onto the court, don't be yelling out, "Hey, how's your crackhead mom?" Or none of that bullshit. None of that nonsense. If a sister or if a brother's in prison, don't be talking about, "Hey, hey, uh, Joe Smith of the opposing team, did your brother get? We're gonna, you know, we're gonna gang rape you like uh, your brother in prison or some stupidity like that." Don't go there. Don't be doing the stupidity. Talk about you suck, you're going down, you're going to get used, you're going to get abused, you don't have no chance, you're going to be losing, you're overrated, you guys suck, this, that, and the other. Fine, fine, no problem. If you want to say that type of stuff and do the wave and do the try the distractions when the opposing team is shooting the free throw, fine. Do all that good stuff. Knock yourself out. Do the wave. Do all that crazy stuff when you're in the student section. Fine. No, prog- no problem, man. Dance up and down the aisle. No problem, man. You know, shimmy shake, no problem, man. You know, do the Watusi, no problem. Do the kitten play, do the James Brown, no problem. Do what you want to do, man. Have some fun. Have some fun. Laugh, joke, just, you know, you know, like I said, taunt the other player. You ain't shit. You ain't going nothing. You're getting used. You ain't nothing. Left, right, left, right, left, right. Sit down. You can't do that. You can't do that. Perfect. I love it. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. But don't storm the court. And no racial slurs, and don't get personal, and don't be vile, and with with the um, 
with the uh, players. That's all we ask. So court storming needs to be barred, needs to be banned. You know what else needs to be banned and barred in college basketball? The handshake after the uh, game. Such nonsense. <laughs> Such absolute nonsense. A massive brawl. Um, there's been, there was a brawl at the, um, at the end of the game on uh, this past Monday. The team started shaking hands. Uh, Texas A&M Commerce beat Incarnate Word 76-72. It was the conference's um, um, similar uh, type of situation between Georgetown and DePaul, the two worst teams in the conference playing against each other. So a massive brawl broke out between those two teams that lasted for more than a minute and spilled across the floor as coaches and players from both teams attempted to break up the melee. Four players from each team was were suspended for flagrant unsportsmanlike actions. The suspensions will begin immediately. The Texas A&M Commerce players suspended. Jerome Brewer Jr., Ant Abraham, and Keo Ko Agua, A-G-W-A, were suspended for three games while teammate Prince Davies received a one-game suspension. And for incarnate word, my word, guard Elijah Davis was handed a three-game suspension. Alex Anderson, Gabe uh, Benny Till, and Marcus Glover were each suspended two games. That's another thing that needs to end. You know, and I, and I know the NCAA, our student athletes, we want to show sportsmen like them, this, that, and the other. The uh, two schools released a joint statement on Monday night said that there is no place in college sports for what happened unfolded after the game. It said there's no place in college sports for such actions. actions. The unsportsmanlike conduct that occurred after the game does not reflect the values of the universities involved as well as the Southland Conference and their member institutions. The matter is currently being reviewed collectively by the conference office in both instructions institutions as the safety of our student athletes, staff, and fans is our primary concern. It's just, I just, I just find it ridiculous. It's such an, it's such a disingenuous move at the end of the game for these guys to shake hands. You know who's the worst? You know who's just the worst example of, let's just get this formality over with and let's just get the hell out of here? It's the coaches. When these games are over, Jamie Dixon, who used to coach at Pittsburgh, and now he's coaching at TCU, he was the worst. He was the worst. He barely allowed his hand to touch the other coach. I don't even think the other coach even got the opportunity to have even a slight grip on his hand for the handshake after that game. Jamie Dixon would be so would, would be trying to get out of there so quickly, win or lose. I mean, these coaches don't give a damn. These players don't give a damn. Let's just avoid this nonsense. I think it's stupid. I think it's ridiculous. After the game is over, if the coaches want to come up with they have who they have a relationship with and say, good game, hang in there, you're doing well, good luck the rest of the way, give you a call later, let's do golf, this, that, and the other. They want to do that after the game, before the game, fine, no problem. If you are playing against an old teammate of yours, if you're playing against, I don't know, what the, what the way the um, transfer rules are in, in collegiate sports, if you're playing against a team that you were playing before you transfer and you're still and there's still some players that you knew that are on the team, you want to go over there there and say what up and give them a dab and do all those type of things and talk about how things are going. Did you finally bang that one chick that we were going that we were both going after? And you know, is it still lit over there off campus at this party? And is our friend still the dumbass that he is and all that type of stuff? If you want to go ahead 
and and and, and yuck it up and chop it up with with uh, old teammates whether it be from the university or college that you played that before transferring or an old AAU teammate or an old high school teammate. If you want to do that before the game, fine. No problem. After the game, fine. No problem. But again, again, make these guys go ahead and uh, shake hands after the game is over. It's bullshit and it's nonsense. And I know it's sportsmanship, this, that, and the other. One thing that the NCAA and these conferences, one thing that they're not really about, it's not high on their priority list, is teaching sportsmanship. These conferences are all about making money, first and foremost. So I always thought that was also nonsense. And getting back real quick to uh, court storming, just thought about this. You know another reason why it's bullshit or another reason why it needs to be stopped? Not only are the players in danger when these students run out, also it's a situation where they can't, they're at the mercy of these people running onto the court. They really can't defend themselves. If you have some maniac, if you're walking off the court from the other team after you lost, and you have some ass clown running at you going, ah, you know, going crazy and this, that, and the other, hey, man, I'm picking up the nearest thing that I can find, and I'm starting to swing. Or if you come near me and you're chanting and you're nigger motherfucker, this, that, and the other, or you're, you know, you kike or, I don't know, you chink or swap or spick, I don't know, or some type of nonsense like that, or your mother's a whore or something like that, I don't know, I'm glad that your dad's dead or some nonsense like that. If you have a fan or a nutcase or nutball coming up to you like that, hey man, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't begrudge that, that player one bit if he hauled off and shattered his jaw. That's what the dumbass gets for running up and saying some stupid ass shit like that. That's what you get from running up to these players um, as a per- perceived threat. I don't, I don't give a damn. Go back and watch the um, ending of Game 7 of the 1984 NBA Finals between the Lakers and the Celtics at the Boston Garden. Watch in particular at the end of the game Larry Bird. When the final shot, when Cooper takes the straightaway three after he double dribbles to move back to the three-point line, and he shoots the uh, shot, and as soon as the buzzer sounded or the uh, the time hit zero, that whole Boston Celtics crowd ran out to the uh, ran out the center court or ran onto the court. I mean, Kareem and Parrish were still battling for the rebound as soon as the buzzer sounded, and you see this wave of fans running onto the court. Watch Larry Bird. Larry Bird ran off that court swinging. Larry Bird was not playing. Mm-mm. Don't get near me. Don't touch me. Don't hug me. Don't jump into my arms. Don't pat me on the back. No. Mm-mm. Larry Bird ran into that locker room through that crowd. My man was swinging, and that my man was stomping on some folks. It was. It was awesome. It was fantastic. If if. If they would have been able to give Larry Bird a chair, like a steel chair, my man would have ran off that crowd, that would have ran off that court swinging at folks. So, hey, man, God bless you, Larry Bird. Amen, Larry Joe Bird on that one. So if I'm one of these guys, man, from Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, whatever, and I see these motherfuckers running on the court and running towards me, I'm picking up one of those chairs and I'm swinging. And if I crack your skull, oh, well, that's your fault. At least, at least the society won't have to worry about that stupid motherfucker anymore. So, yeah, man. <laughs> Shoot. So, it, it, it's amazing. Because, like I said, 
the the the, the player who injured Filipowski, he's not identified. Probably nothing's going to happen to him. None of that stuff is going to happen, right? But if Filipowski, if he saw that guy coming and he threw a punch and he knocked that guy out, oh my goodness, we would be yelling and screaming about what a horrible guy Kyle Filipowski is. So that's another reason why court storming needs to be banned. I had to go back and give you that opinion. All right, so well, like, let me see here. So uh, yeah, I've, I've had about enough of that. After the boogie break, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, ooh, I'm going to talk about my Halle Berry. Ooh, I'm going to talk about my Layla Roshan. Ooh, I'm going to talk about my Monica Bellucci. Ooh, I'm going to talk about my Selma Hayek. The NBA, Eastern Conference, Western Conference, going to be speaking about some of those teams. Look, the Eastern Conference, for the most part, is like, yeah, yeah, whatever. We got Boston. Cleveland lost a couple of games. Milwaukee's starting to get it together. Miami seems to be uh, heating up a little bit. See, Miami heating up. See? So uh, the East is has some interesting things going on. But the real stories, the real oh yes, the real this should be interesting are happening in the Western Conference. So I'm going to discuss both of those, the Eastern Conference, the Western Conference, and some of the things that are going down um, in those conferences right, right after I boogie. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Yes, and court storming right away, because again, this doesn't need to be excessive. The consequences for the action doesn't need to be excessive. We live in a civilized society. <laughs> yeah, a guy in South Carolina walks into Ebenezer Baptist Church, plays, prays with his parishioners, shoots them, then the governor who's trying to become the uh, re- uh, the Republican presidential nominee, says, racism? There's no racism in this country. Racism never happened. This country wasn't built on racism. Really? Really? I need to, re- I need to go ahead and look up the definition of slave. Hmm. Civilized society? Yeah. We have a bunch of stupid motherfuckers who are going to be voting for a clown who's fucking up there after he lost the election. Before he lost the election, say... Well, if I lose the election, the election is rigged, so, uh, you know, you guys should go to the Capitol and do something about it. And we have a bunch of stupid motherfuckers in this country, too many of them, who say, okay. Then, a guy who's being indicted on 91 counts sits there and goes, okay, we'll vote for you, day. So, yeah. Civilized society, huh? Smart society, huh? Educational society, huh? Okay. Uh-huh. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Ah, man. The NBA. 
Um, some good stuff going on. Eastern Conference, Western Conference. There's about 26, 27 games left to go in the uh, season. It's going to be over quicker than you thought. For those who might not be diehard, a diehard NBA fan like myself, um, it's a situation where, look, man, you guys are probably going to be caught up in March Madness. So that's going to take away a lot of March for you with the NBA. So you're going to turn around, man, and this situation is going to be like, wait a minute, there's only five or six games? It's interesting because 82 games might seem like a lot, but then let's put it this way. if Let's just say you're a solid NBA fan, okay? For the most part, you really might watch a couple of games at the beginning of the season when the league starts. Let's just say you're a Laker fan or a Boston Celtic fan or maybe you're a fan of one of the players, right? So you go ahead and you might watch the Lakers' first seven, eight, nine games of the season. But for the most part, you're still in football mode. The NFL and college football is still going on strong. So the NBA is really put on the back burner. And by the time the college football season's over and they play the championship game, you look around, the NFL is is, is, is still in the last push to see who's going to be in the playoffs. So you're really going to be locked in on that. Meanwhile, the NBA is in game, what, 20, 24, 25? So the first 25 games of the NBA have passed and maybe you've taken paid attention to maybe three, four games, the opening game of the season, maybe a couple of games after that. So it's a situation, again, if you're really delving and if you're really loving and if you're really passionate or if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan or a Los Angeles Ram fan or a Pittsburgh Steeler fan or a Green Bay Packer fan or, or, um, or, or one of them, you know, you're mainly focusing on the NFL season. Or if you're an Alabama fan, or if you're a Georgia fan, if you're an Ohio State fan, if you're a Clemson fan, if you're a um, Michigan, St- uh, Michigan or Michigan State fan, you're, you're you know, all of your attention, most of your attention is going into that. So the NBA just flies below the radar in terms of, hey, man, you turn around and you blink. You watch opening night on TNT. You might watch the opening games on ESPN. And then you kind of put it on the back burner. And the next thing you know, you're 28, 30 games into the season the next time that you check. Then there's a situation with that. You still have the NFL season going on. Then you have the playoffs. And then after the playoffs at the Super Bowl, you turn around and it's like, wait a minute, the All-Star game is going to be in how many weeks? And many people think that the All-Star game is like the halfway point of the season. No. Oh, no, my brother. The uh, All-Star game normally happens when there's less than, not just 42, but less than, you know, 35, 34 games. So right now we're at the stretch where there's less than 30 games to go. The end of college basketball is, uh, is near. And most folks don't really give a damn about the regular season in college basketball, but they do care about the conference championships, the conference tournament, and then the NCAA tournament itself, which bleeds into the first week in April. So it's a situation where you turn around and the NBA, you you get back to the NBA and it's like, wait a minute, how many games are left? Less than 15. And we're not even speaking about the baseball season starting around that time too. So the NBA for the most part, can, can kind of hide can kind of hide in the shadows or even hide in the opening but because there's other things going on that divert your attention from really focusing on the day-to-day of the NBA. But the Eastern Conference, Western Conference, they got some good stuff going on. Let's focus on the um, Eastern Conference, shall we? Speaking about the uh, Boston Celtics, I am recording this again on a Tuesday. I know that they're playing tonight. 
on uh, TNT against the Philadelphia 76ers. But right now, in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics are the best team in that conference, and, and they are by a good margin. They have a 45 and 12 record. They're winning. They're winning eight out of the or they've won eight out of the last ten. They have a seven and a half game lead over the number two Cleveland Cavaliers. Six of their eight straight wins have come against losing teams. I mean, they beat Memphis, they beat Brooklyn, they beat Atlanta, they beat Chicago. Homecoming game against the uh, Washington Wizards. Um, so, you know, look, they currently have the best record, 23-11, and 11, in games played between the 18 teams that are currently above 500. Very impressive this past weekend against the New York Knicks at Madison Square Garden. Garden winning 116-102. All starters scored in double figures. They shot 57% from the field, 42% from the three-point line. Man, Christoph Porzingis was going full heagle on the crowd, laughing, joking, having a good time. Like, woo, I don't have to play for these motherfuckers no more. So this week, again, they begin a stretch of six straight games against teams that have a record above 500. You're speaking about uh, Philadelphia tonight, then you're speaking about Dallas, Golden State, at Cleveland, at Denver, at Phoenix. That game against both Denver and Phoenix should go a long way to find out exactly how good the Boston Celtics are because their winning percentage, 789, that would be the best mark in the last six seasons, probably since the 65-17, and 2017-18 Houston Rockets. So, when you speak about it, and again, it comes back to with the Boston Celtics winning that championship. They have everything they have to make. It's almost like they're the, uh, it's almost like if you wanted to compare them to an NFL team this season, they're almost like the uh, Baltimore Ravens in terms of, you know, coming out of their conference. I don't see anything that can stop them. Just like if you remember after that game against San Francisco, after that game against Miami, that it was clear to everybody at that point in time that the Baltimore Ravens were the best team in the NFL and everything was set up for them to go to the Super Bowl and that it would be a massive upset and disappointment if they didn't because we didn't know Kansas City had that other gear. We didn't know that Patrick Mahomes was going to have that other gear once they got into the playoffs. So everything at that time in the regular season when they were at their best, speaking about the Baltimore Ravens, pointed to them going to the Super Bowl. Not winning the Super Bowl, but at the very least, getting to the Super Bowl. It's the same thing with the uh, Boston Celtics and the NBA. If you take a look at the Eastern Conference, if you take a look at the fact that the Philadelphia 76ers don't have Joel Embiid, when you speak about the Milwaukee Bucks still trying to get their act together with a new coach and trying to implement uh, Damian Lillard more into the offense, and you speak about Milwaukee's defense, when you speak about Pascal Siakam coming over to the Indiana Pacers, still I don't think that's enough for them to overtake the Celtics in the seven-game series. Maybe you could say that just because of precedents because of history that the Miami Heat might have the best chance to upend the Boston Celtics but for the Celtics if they remain this healthy this intact the only way I can see them losing is if Christoph Porzingis chokes in the playoffs or in important minutes that possibly he might get bullied he might get punked by the Miami Heat or a more physical team and there's a possibility that the, the they really don't have anything off the bench for the Celtics. Their their bench is not very good. Their starting five are great when you speak about Drew Holiday, Derek White, Porzingis, Jalen Brown, and uh, Jason Tatum. But, you know, coming off that bench, Al Horford is up in years, and he's had an up-and-down season. 
Um, and anybody else, I don't see anybody else off, off that bench. Uh, Pritchard is not going to be able to get a lot of major minutes uh, in, 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 this, in the uh, playoffs. So, you know, it's going to be a situation where it's like, hey, look, man, the Celtics, that starting five, is going to have to be able to uh, log the heavy minutes. Now, again, Jason Tatum is one of the five best players in the league. Jalen Brown, despite some of his, uh, you know, sometimes his uh, frequency to uh, turn it over and make bad decisions, I think that he's had a solid all-star year to be a number two guy for a team that can win a championship. Uh, Christoph Porzingis has been better than advertised. When you think about how well he has fit into that system for Boston, Derek White, Really should have been an all-star, and maybe Derek White is probably, possibly the second most important player on the team behind Jason Tatum. And then you have that two-way defense-offense type of a point guard in Drew Holiday who can complement on the offense and shut down or severely hamper the best player on offense on the other team. A really good, one of the best two-way players in the game in Drew Holiday who just so happened also have championship experience. And Joe Mazzulla. Everything that he went through the the, uh, last uh, postseason, I think that's only going to help him uh, become a better coach once the uh, playoffs happen. So again, when you speak about the Eastern Conference, Boston, I think, is clearly the best team in that conference. The number two seed, Cleveland Cavaliers, 37-19, one game ahead of the number three Milwaukee Bucks, three and a half games ahead of the New York Knicks. The Cavs have won 18 of their last 20 before the All-Star break, but they lost their first two games afterward to Orlando and to Philadelphia before, again, a homecoming beatdown of my pathetic Washington Wizards. Both losses, when you're speaking about the uh, Magic losing to Orlando and Philadelphia, both of them were without Donovan Mitchell, who are, who's the Cleveland 6-5 and five without him. Mitchell was sick with uh, illness. But the Cavs have a 7-12 and record against the other seven Eastern Conference teams with winning records. Um, and, you know, you know the one thing also that I can't get out of my mind? I just can't get out of my mind in terms of taking Cleveland serious to be contenders, to beat Boston, to win the uh, conference championship. I just remember the way they played against the, um, against the New York Knicks in the last uh, season's playoffs. Until you do something to try to rectify that, that's still going to be there. That memory is still going to be there. That's going to hamper people's expectations on whether you can definitely win a uh, championship or not, or that you can beat the Boston Celtics if the Celtics not only have home, home court advantage, but are relatively healthy. Donovan Mitchell, I mean, ugh. Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, I think that was the, uh, th- that was the, the thought process in terms of trying to figure out uh, if they're going to be able to do some things in the playoff. But also, you know, you have, you have someone like a Karis LeVert. He's been up and down all season. But you're talking about the best lineup for Cleveland is with LeVert, Mitchell, and uh, Garland in the uh, in the lineup. So moving forward, can they do anything to uh, beat Boston or compete with Boston? How legit are they? Despite winning 18 out of, out of 20, despite uh, having the run that they had, I don't know. That still needs to be determined. The number three team in the Eastern Conference, your Milwaukee Bucks. Those Milwaukee Bucks, come on, man. They're showing signs of life. 
currently have a 37 and 21 record and one game behind the number two seeded Cleveland Cavaliers. They had their best win of the season on the road against Minnesota this past Friday. A slog of a 112-107 victory. Outscored them, speaking of the Bucks, outscored Minnesota 38-13 in the third and then held on for the win. Now, Milwaukee is 11-1 with 11 straight wins against the five worst teams in the Eastern Conference with five games remaining in that group. So that's five wins, possibly four wins you could pick up right there. Two of those five games or those five victories have come against the Charlotte Hornets, who they beat by 31 points and then 36 points. So, yeah, the um, Milwaukee Bucks making stride. They beat up on they beat up Sunday on a uh, depleted or well, you know, without Joel Embiid Philadelphia 76er squad. That game against um, Minnesota again, it wasn't pretty. They had to hold on at the end, but a victory on the road, especially with ESPN coming in and having all access with Minnesota, that was going to be a big deal for the Timberwolves, especially if you take a look at their history. So they were going to be taking that contest a little bit more serious than just any other old game in February. So it was an important, interesting uh, victory for the Milwaukee Bucks. But really, we can't really go anywhere in terms of how good the Milwaukee Bucks are until we find out what the hell's going on with Chris Middleton and his uh, ankle injury. He hasn't played since February 6th. Rivers said that uh, before Sunday's win against Philadelphia that that, uh, he was getting closer to suiting up again. But look, Chris Middleton has played just eight minutes in the last nine games. Jay Crowder starting in his place has been seven for 32 from the three-point range over that stretch. Um, I don't know who you can replace with Middleton, Especially if Middleton, if Middleton even comes back and he's somewhat hampered. I don't know exactly where you're going to go at your number three guy. Because, again, you're speaking about um, Damian Lillard still trying to get used to the offense, still trying to find his place, still trying to find when to dominate and be a good teammate. Rivers has said many times that he wants Damian Lillard to be the Damian Lillard of Portland. Don't, don't try to blend in. Don't try to just be one of the fellas. Don't do that. Be Damian Lillard of Portland. Be that guy. That's who we traded for. So right now, Lillard is still trying to get used to his teammates, still trying to work with Adinokupo, who outside of, um, you know, since a bead is out of the playoff picture, I know Shea Gilgis-Alexander has had a fabulous season, but I think, you know, just in terms of MVP candidates, Jokic, Tatum, SGA, and you got to put Giannis in there also. Despite the fact that many people might think that this has been a disappointing season, compared to the expectations that the Bucks had, especially after they made that Damian Lillard trade. Giannis has been Giannis has been a beast. He's been a monster. And you know what? He's looking a lot better shooting his free throws. I know that he needs to take that <gasps> that breath every time that he uh, shoots those free throws. But uh, I like his form. And his three-point shooting, he's been more apt to take good three-point looks, acceptable three-point looks. And uh, he's been making them. I'm not saying that he's going to all of a sudden turn into a three-point shooter, but he seems to be a lot better shooting the three. Again, when the playoffs come down to the playoffs, it's a situation where, you know, Giannis settling for threes, I don't think that's going to be as prevalent as it is during the regular season, but also his propensity to shoot from 10, 12 feet out when he can't attack the rim, when he can't get to the rim. And at the playoffs, once the playoffs starts and you start playing four out of seven series, 
You're not going to be able to get those same type of drives. You're not going to be able to get those same type of spins. You're not going to be able to do uh, get to that baseline. You're not going to be able to get to the basket as as much as you can in the regular season. So all of those things with the Milwaukee Bucks, they are still churning on. The number four team in the Eastern Conference, your New York Knicks? No, your New York Knicks. Is it your New York Knicks? The New York Knicks. The Jalen Brunson's New York Knicks coming in fourth place. Uh, still in there. Still hanging in there when you speak about the fact that the Knicks are 23 or 35 and 23, 11 games behind Boston, but two and a half games behind Milwaukee. I don't know, man. I don't know what to make of the game against the uh, Detroit Pistons, where basically they needed a, a blown call to uh, win that basketball game, 113, 111 over. Uh, you're over the Pistons and then Monty Williams. I wish I had that, the audio. Monty Williams basically saying this is some bullshit, this is some nonsense. And look, you know, the legitimacy of Buddy Williams going off, right? Oh, yeah, we're the New York media. We're the New York media now, huh? Yeah, don't see him now. Didn't take any questions either. He wanted to get that off of his chest, got up and left. Look, Monty Williams, Christian man, believing in Jesus, believing in God, situation where he's not one of these after every game. He's um, running in talking about how bad the referees are. He's not during the game. He's not Doc Rivers. He's not whining and complaining all the time. He's not demonstrative. He's not showing up the referees. So when you see Monty Williams being that upset, being that angry, the fact that, look, I'm going to get this off my chest. I ain't asking no questions. I ain't answering no questions. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to get on out of here. For him to be that angry, yeah, it was a blown call. Yeah, it was a missed call. In the league, I think, I don't know yet if they've come down and said that it was a bad call, but quite frankly, when they get the, the uh, report from the referees, they'll probably say that, but be like, oh, well, we missed a call. Our bad. But uh, so, yeah, getting back to the New York Knicks, OG Ananobi, Julius Randle still out with injuries. The Knicks ranked 21st defensively over the past four weeks that Ananobi and Randle have been out. More that says that says with Ananobi, Ananobi more than uh, Julius Randle. But my question now is the fact that because Randle and OG has missed so many games, is, Ju- is uh, Jalen Brunson starting to wear down? Because Brunson has had a usage rate of 35% over the 10 games that he's plays in the injuries to Ananobi and Randall, which is second in the league, and his true shooting percentage over those 10 games has gone down from 60% to around 57% in the last six games that uh, Ananobi and Randall have played. So, again, they needed a bad call to get by Detroit on Monday, and when you speak about nine of the next 11 games will be against teams with winning records, and they're currently 12 and 21 within the group of teams that they're going to be playing. It's going to be, because we're, we're, we're speaking about, because we want the New York Knicks to do well. We want Madison Square Garden to be jumping. We want, when playoff time comes in the NBA, there's nothing more fantastic in terms of seeing the Madison Square Garden rock and roll when the Knicks are legit. So we're wanting, we're hoping, glass half fulling to see what's going on with the New York Knicks once they get into the playoffs. But again, a team that's being that's beating up on the bad teams, but losing to the good teams. Case in point, that game on Sunday against the Boston Celtics at home for the Knicks, they didn't look ready. They didn't look like true contenders. And how much is Ananobi going to give them? How much is Julius Randle going to give them? By the time they come back, they'll be a better basketball team, of course. 
I mean, you can't be relying on Jalen Brunson and then have the second re- uh, leading scorer or the second guy that you need to rely on be uh, Dante DiVincenzo or maybe Jason Hart. You can't have that for the New York Knicks to expect to beat the Boston Celtics. So yeah, you're, you're going to need Randall, but you're going to need a fully into it. Let's go. Don't worry about my injuries. What injuries? Not speaking about injuries. Might be sore, but not hampering me type of injuries with Julius Randall and OG Ananobi. You're going to need those guys ready. You're going to need those guys rip-roaring ready to go. How much time are they going to need to get that done? That's going to be the question. Again, these next 11 games are going to give us a good indication of what the New York Knicks are all about. The Philadelphia 76ers, 33-24, good victory over Cleveland at home. Their Sixers, the Sixers are still in sixth place. You got the Pacers, you got the Heat, you got the Magic all within two games of the loss column. Here, here's something that's interesting. Because we're speaking about, when, when we speak about the playoff contenders in the East, we start bringing up the names, of course, of Boston and New York and, um, and uh, Milwaukee for the most part. And then the other team that we're always speaking about is the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, mainly we were speaking that because of the dominance of Joel Embiid and the ascension to being a solid Robin when you're speaking about um, Tyrese Maxey. Now, with the uncertainty of Joel Embiid on when he's going to come back from this meniscus tear in surgery or whatever, that rehab and those type of things, are we still sure that the Philadelphia 76ers are even going to make the playoffs? Because again, when you take a look at the bottom seeds of those of, of the Eastern Conference, and what I'm speaking about, are you guaranteed, are you still confident that the Philadelphia 76ers are going to make the playoffs? What I'm saying is, do you think that they're going to be one of these top six teams and not have to worry about being in the play-in game? Are you sure that the 76ers are going to hold on to be able to do so? Because um, right now, as I mentioned before, with Joel Embiid, they're not just treading water. They're sinking. So 16 of of his final 25 games, including 15 of his next 20, are against teams that currently have a winning record. So you're talking about, look, Tyrese Maxey, great as a Robin, not great as a Batman, especially when... There's no other Robin to replace Robin on the Philadelphia 76ers. You can't really replace Batman, which is uh, Joel Embiid. He goes down, so now Robin is trying to be Batman. That ain't going to make it because Tyrese Maxey, he's not on the same level as a Jason Tatum. He's not on the same level as a Giannis Adenokupo. He's not on the same level as Nikola Jokic. He's not on the same level of a Shea Gilgis Alexander. He's not on the same level when he's healthy as a Kawhi Leonard. Tyrese Maxey is not that guy. Tyrese Maxey is a very good Robin, but then to move up and replace Joel Embiid, his responsibilities for the team winning or losing, that's unfair to him. He's not that type of he's not that guy. That's not a slight on Tyrese Maxey. It'd be the same situation if they asked Paul George to take uh, Kawhi Leonard's place. It'd be the same situation if they asked Jamal Murray to take Nikola Jokic's place. It would be the same situation if they asked Jalen Brown to take Jason Tatum's place. It would be the same situation even asking Damian Lillard to take the place and responsibilities of Giannis Adenokupo. The Bucks aren't going anywhere. The Bucks are already shaky enough with Adenokupo. 
with him out and then having to put on Damian Lillard, it would just be a replica of what Portland went through last season in terms of the success with Lillard as the main guy. Again, that's not a knock on Damian Lillard. It's just the situation that he's in, new coach, new city, new everything. Of course he's not going to be able to uh, perform up to that level. He needs a Denikupo, just like a Denikupo needs Lillard to get better for the Bucks to have a real shot along with the health issues being rendered, being, um, being um, taken care of by Chris Middleton. All that comes back to the Philadelphia 76ers and say, all right, if we're going to ask Tyrese Maxey to uh, duplicate the responsibilities of Joel Embiid, who else on the 76ers then are we going to ask to replace what Tyrese Maxey gives us? Because you can't leave that vacant. If you're going to have Tyrese Maxey take the Batman role, we just can't say, well, no one's going to be able to take the... Uh, Robin roll. We'll just leave that alone. The 76ers aren't going to be making the playoffs if that happens. They're not going to be able to hold on to that number six seed if that happens. So who's going to be able to be the second best player on the 76ers team if Tyrese Maxey is going to have to take responsibility of being number one? Is it going to be Tobias Harris? Is it going to be Buddy Heald? Is it going, is it going to be Kelly Oubre? Who's it going to be? Because none of those options look any good. None of those options would make me want to run out, get a uh, Philly cheesesteak, sit back, relax, and go, Yo, Rocco! No, that's not, that's, that's, and I should say Joe Frazier instead of Rocky Balboa. So, uh, no, that's, 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 not, uh, that's not applicable in terms of like, yeah, let's have the story of the Philadelphia 76ers making some real noise once the uh, playoffs start. So, for me, my deal is that what's the update on Joel Embiid? What are we going to be doing in that situation? And what, how much wear and tear and taxing is it going to be for Tyrese Maxey to take the place of Joel Embiid? This is three years from now, this scenario, this situation that Tyrese Maxey is going through right now, it's going to be great for him. It's going to be fantastic for him. If we can get ourselves a healthy Joel Embiid, and what is that definition of a healthy Joel Embiid? When's the last time Joel Embiid has been Nikola Jokic healthy? And when I mean Nikola Jokic healthy, I'm talking about, for the most part, if they're going to play 82 games during the regular season, in terms of the 76ers, that's their schedule, that can Embiid be there for at least 65? Because Nikola Jokic can. If we're going to be going into the playoffs and having the gauntlet of running through the Eastern Conference and making it to the NBA Finals and winning the NBA Championship? Can Embiid be there for at least 75, 80% of the games? Because guess what? Nikola Jokic is going to be there for 100 unless something fluky happens to him. Joel Embiid is never going to be that guy because guess what? The more injuries you accumulate during your career, you don't get stronger. You don't get more resilient. You don't come back quicker from those injuries. It takes a toll. So this meniscus injury that Joel Embiid is going through, it's not a situation where he's going to get this fixed and he's going to come back bigger, stronger, better than ever. And this situation is going to be fixed and for the next two or three years, Joel Embiid is going to be fine. Joel is a big man. Joel is a big man who gets injured a lot. So during these situations, we're going to need Tyrese Maxey, who you have identified as that guy who can help Embiid get that championship, you have you have identified him to be that guy. So right now, just like Scottie Pippen had to go through when Michael Jordan retired the first time to go play baseball, 
And then that responsibility was replaced, was, was placed on Scottie Pippen, who was used and comfortable to being the, uh, the, uh, the Robin. Well, the same thing now with uh, Tyrese Maxey in terms of, hey, man, you know, now it's going to be your show. Now it's going to be your deal. So the Philadelphia 76ers, again, I don't know if they're going to even make the playoffs if Embiid can't do anything coming back. So interesting developments for the number six through eight seeds in the Eastern Conference when you have the Indiana Pacers, the Miami Heat, the Orlando Magic. They're all separated by a half game of each other. Miami now has the number six seed after beating Sacramento on the road because uh, Jimmy Butler and a couple of others were suspended after that little melee. They got involved with the um, the uh, um, New Orleans Pelicans. And um, God bless, I don't know who, Kevin Love. Yeah, God bless Kevin Love who uh, basically bear-hugged uh, Zion Williamson. And God bless him that he didn't go up into the basket with the ball because Zion is that strong. But the um, Heat played without Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero and a couple of others. They've won eight of their last 10 games, including three straight on the road. They've beaten not only the um, Sacramento Kings twice, but they've also beaten New Orleans, Milwaukee, Orlando, Philadelphia, Washington, San Antonio, and again, Sacramento twice. So you're speaking about wins that make you go, hmm, with New Orleans, Minnesota, Orlando, Philadelphia without Joel Embiid, yeah, yeah, whatever. Washington, again, homecoming game. It's like a major college team playing the SWAC or the MEAC team. San Antonio wins. So, you know, what, what to make What to make of this stew? What's to make of this recipe? What's to make of what's happening with the Miami Heat where, yeah, they've won 8 out of the 10 games. And outside of Milwaukee, even though Milwaukee is still learning with Dame and and, um, and Giannis and Doc and those guys, Chris Middleton didn't play in that game. So, yeah, New Orleans, good win. Orlando, good win. Philadelphia, should win. Milwaukee, good win. But Washington, who cares? San Antonio, yeah, so what? Sacramento twice, good wins. But how much does those good wins convince you or put it into your mind that, hey, you know what? Maybe the Miami Heat are starting to uh, come around and be in the position of what they did last season in the playoffs, which is to make the NBA Finals. Then you say, okay, they've won eight out of their last ten, but then who are the two teams that they lost to? They lost to the Clippers in Boston. Okay. So again, is it just a situation where Miami's just beating up on mediocre, the bad teams, sprinkled in with a couple of good teams in there? Or, you know, the real, you know, the, the, the real picture of what the Miami Heat are is those games with the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. So we'll see. We'll see about Jimmy Butler, who, of course, can put any team, or at least put Miami, on his back for a series and have them win. Uh, Tyler Hero, I don't know how much you can rely on him. And I really don't know how much in terms of with Tyler Hero, once the playoffs start, it's almost like, for him, it's almost like, hey, man, you know, he's just frosting on the cake. We're not relying on him to be the cake. Jimmy Butler's going to be our cake. Eric Spolstra is going to be our cake. They're going to be our foundations. You know, if we can get something from Tyler Hero, whoop-de-whoop-de-fantastic. But if we don't, whoop-de-damn-do. We're not really worried about it. So that's the uh, Miami Heat who are in sixth place in the Eastern Conference. The Indiana Pacers fell to the number seven seed after losing to Toronto at home. Yesterday, 130-122, they ended Dallas's winning streak of seven at home. They blew them out, so I don't know what to make of the Indiana Pacers. The Indiana Pacers and the um, 
the Indiana Pacers and the uh, Sacramento Kings, I don't know what to make of them, man. I have no idea. The, the, the Sacramento Kings look fantastic. Look fantastic against the uh, L.A. Clippers. Yeah, I know the Clippers were without Paul George. But going on the road and beating the Clippers, great win. And then they turn around and then they lose to uh, the Miami Heat. I don't know. And that's what, that's what Larry Brown's been, uh, Larry, um, uh, uh, Mike Brown has been talking about all season long. We play down to our competition. I don't know how that works. I don't know how that goes. I don't know in terms of what Sacramento can do. Or excuse me, damn it. I don't know what Indiana can do. Because, yeah, they've gotten better defensively once they got Pascal Siakam. And Siakam has gotten some more minutes. And now since Tyrese Halliburton has come back into the court, has been back playing with um, playing with um, um, Pascal Siakam, that the Pacers have been better. But when you have a team like Indiana that relies so much on scoring, Aaron Naismith has been dealing with some injuries and such, but when you have a team in Indiana that relies so much on offense and so little on defense, I don't know how that formula works. Again, they're a real exciting team. They're a very exciting team. But I don't know how that works in the playoffs. And they're just 6-6 six and six in the last 12 games that both Halliburton and Siakam had played. So I don't know exactly once those guys get it rolling, I don't know if they're going to remain average. I don't know if they're going to get better, how much better they're going to get. Are they going to be a threat to Milwaukee if they can get Middleton back and be able to um, formulate a, a better team chemistry and get them going to win some basketball games and you know get better on the defensive end. They went out and got themselves Pat Beverly for Milwaukee, so how much of that is going to help? So you're thinking about a situation in Indiana where we're going to have to outscore everybody. Can you outscore the Boston Celtics and win basketball games? Not in the playoffs, not without home court advantage. So for the uh, Indiana Pacers, that's a deal there. I think that the uh, move to make Pascal Siakam, I think that was the right move, but I think it's going to benefit them more even down the road, two or three years down the road in that situation. The Pacers aren't good enough to have Pascal Siakam be that guy that's going to catapult them from pretenders to contenders, not just for winning an NBA championship, which is fallacy, but even challenging the supremacy of the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference. The Orlando Magic. The Magic got a great win in Cleveland on Thursday. Then they barely beat the Pistons. You know what? The Pistons are playing better. It fell apart in, in Atlanta with a four-point lead, turning into a 16-point deficit with a 21-1 Hawks run spanning the third and fourth quarters. Still think that the Orlando Magic are a little bit too young. I still think that they're missing a superstar. They're a superstar away from really being contenders. I think that Paulo Bancaro, can he, can he morph? Can he mature? Can he grow into that player? Grow into a Batman? Grow into an elite player? And even if he can, I think Franz Wagner is good, but I don't know if he could be a Robin on a team that's going to be competing for championships. And then they got they got a good mixture. They don't have anybody who can shoot a three-point shot, but you know, you, you've got Jalen Struggs and you've got uh, Cole Anthony, one guy excellent on the defensive end, the other guy excellent on the offensive end. Mo Wagner, Mo Wagner is another good guy coming off the bench. Wendell Carter Jr., Fantastic first name, Wendell. I mean, anybody who's named Wendell 
and especially a junior too. You know, A, his father had to be awesome and fantastic with good looks, and B, his son had to be just as fine and fantastic and wonderful and articulate and intelligent as he is. I mean, a Wendell Jr., come on now, come on now. Ladies over the age of uh, 45, get with me. So, you know, Wendell Carter Jr. has been uh, up and down dealing with uh, injuries. I just don't think the Orlando Magic right now are at that position to uh, really contend. So even if they miss the playoffs, I think that the progress that Jamal Mosley and that squad has made, I think it's been uh, I think it's been a positive whether the Magic make the playoffs or not. The rest of the pack, you got the Bulls, you got the Atlanta Hawks, which are the 9 and 10 seeds, two two teams really that should be trying to get out of the playing game. Chicago should have traded their squad a long time ago. Should have traded Vucevic and DeRozan and those guys and just let Kobe White continue to make his ascension in terms of being the best player on the team. And also the Atlanta Hawks now playing without Trey Young. And, uh, you know, they should have traded. Maybe, maybe, you know, I don't know what the situation was um, with um, mm, Trey Young in the backcourt bait, whose name I forgot right now, but... Uh, yeah, they should have done something with him. I got DeMar DeRozan's name stuck in my mind for uh, the for the uh, Atlanta guard that they should be trading for, they should have traded for. It'll come to me in a second. Don't worry about it. Brooklyn, Charlotte, Washington, losers of 11 in a row, by the way, my Washington Wizards. And Detroit make up the pack. Detroit's better than Washington. I've got news for you. Detroit, the, 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 the wins aren't showing, but the performance, they're getting better. I'm not saying Monty Morris. I'm not saying that yeah, Monty uh, Monty Williams is a guy who's going to be getting coach of the year consideration. But uh, from where they were, he's done a, done a pretty good job with those guys. So there you go. Western Conference standings: the top four seeds are separated by two and a half games, and seeds number five through ten are separated by four games. Minnesota OKC are tied for first place with identical 40 and 17 records. The Thunder have been, I believe, the more impressive team since the end of the All Star break. Wow, did they put a beat down on the uh, L.A. Clippers. That was convincingly impressive. And then, like I said, the homecoming game against my Washington Wizards, they won 147-106, the and then they beat Houston 123-110 on Sunday. I think they're going to be playing tonight on TNT, so it's a home-and-home situation, um, home-road situation. Chet Holgren had been very good post-All-Star break, averaging 23 points, 10 rebounds, almost three blocks while shooting 65% from the field. 50% from the three-point line. Um, he's done quite well. Um, I don't know really how Chet's going to hold up in terms of the uh, playoffs once those once those things start. If they're going are the because you can't hide them. Like for instance, he's going to have to guard Nikola Jokic for an extended amount of time in the in the playoffs. You, you just can't. Well, meanwhile on the offensive end, you know you can have Aaron Gordon guard Chet Holmgren and maybe have Nikola Jokic. Guard someone else like a like a Josh Giddy, who's really not um, who really doesn't look to score. The thing with the Oklahoma City, I don't worry too much about that bullshit. About well, they don't have any playoff experience. They got talent. Jalen Williams, he can play. Shea Gilgis Alexander, I'm telling you right now, Nikola Jokic is the best player on the on the planet. But if you're speaking about two way players, I think SGA is the best two-way player in the game today and I'm not saying that he's the best defensive player but when you take into account what his responsibilities are on the offensive end and then the way that he plays defense 
I think that that makes him the best two-way player in the game. Now, I still think Nikola Jokic is the best player in the game because of this. Jokic is not a rim protector, but what Jokic does from the offensive standpoint mitigates some of his weaknesses on the defensive standpoint. So what I'm trying to say is, yeah, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, fantastic offensive player and a good defensive player. But Jokic, when you're speaking about offense, it's out of this world what he does with the Nuggets. When he catches that ball at the top of the key, when he when he catches that ball at the uh, elbow, when he catches that ball at the block and initiates the offense, when he takes the ball off the defensive board and brings it up, it's amazing what that man does. Amazing what that man does. So, yeah, Gilgis Alexander might be a better defensive player and still be a good offensive player, a very good offensive player. But what makes Jokic the MVP and the best player in the game is the responsibilities that he has on the offensive end, how he executes so well on the offensive end. It mitigates, again, some of the weaknesses on the defense, mitigates them a lot. But uh, Gilgis Alexander, man, he's number two. At the very worst, in terms of the best players in the game, um, Luke Dork can be that uh, defensive guy, be able to shoot corner threes. You have Josh Giddy, eh, don't know about that, to pick up a Gordon Hayward. Um, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, Oklahoma City is deep. Oklahoma City is talented. I still think, again, when you come down to Minnesota, when you come down to um, Oklahoma City, I think for playoff purposes, I think Minnesota has the better team to deal with the defending champion Denver Nuggets because of the twin towers known as Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert, who I think have played very well with each other and just the defensive acumen, Jaden McDaniels and others that the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves has, has. And then you have a guy in Anthony Edwards that offensively can take a game over, can take over a series. Maybe not at the same level as a uh, a, uh, Jokic. Maybe definitely not on the same level as a Luka Dantich. But you do have a guy, an ascending superstar in Anthony Edwards, who I think for two, three, four games in a series can take it over and be the best player, most the, the most difficult player in terms of the other team guarding him on the court. Then you throw in Mike Connolly, an experienced point guard. I think with the playoff comes that the Timberwolves, Nas Reed, another guy that can come off the bench and be effective, not just guarding the uh, perimeter player, but also on offense, being able to shoot the three-pointer, being able to put the ball on the floor and advance on the defensive rebound. I think in a situation like that, that the... Um, well, I think as of right now, right now, the better regular season team at the Oklahoma City Thunder, I think once the playoffs start, the best team to advance and win a championship, if I had to choose between the two, would be the Minnesota Timberwolves. But again, it's it's close. It's close, man. It's really, really close. So as I mentioned before, the Thunder still have seven games remaining against the other six Western Conference teams with winning records. They haven't played Phoenix yet. Um, well, they haven't played them since, uh, they haven't played them since November 12th. And that was the game Phoenix was without Devin Booker. I'll get the, I'll get the Phoenix in just a second. The Nuggets, they're now the number three seed, a game and a half out of first place after being in Golden State on the road and the Clippers losing at home to Sacramento last night. After losing to Sacramento and Milwaukee on the road and losing to the Kings at home before the All-Star break, 
Um, Jamal Murray went back to uh, California, went back to L.A., watched his friend Alexander Volkanovsky get knocked out, lose his title, and relax. He's come back looking better than ever. Nikola Jokic had a good time up there in Indianapolis, hanging out with his uh, Serbian buddies and having a good time at the All-Star. Then after the All-Star break, the Nuggets have won three straight. Maybe it's a situation where the Nuggets said, all right, time to get serious. Time to get serious. And that's exactly what they did, beating Portland and Washington. Good warm-up team for them. Um, they beat an actual competent playoff contender in Golden State. Klay Thompson, first quarter, second quarter, was going nuts. Draymond Green was acting like Draymond Green. Steph wasn't Steph, but Golden State built that lead. And it was just a matter of Denver just coming back, coming back, coming back, coming back. Once they passed them, you knew if you were watching that game, that they weren't going to catch him. Once Denver cut that, what, 16, 17-point lead and tied them at 61-63 at the half, you knew that it was only a matter of time before the better team was going to prevail. Jamal Murray had a great game. Jokic was being Jokic, and that's exactly what they did. I, I still think, uh, coming out of the West, the Western Conference, that the Denver Nuggets are the best team. They got the best player in the league. They got the best Batman and Ramen combination when you're thinking about front court, back court with Murray and Jokic. I love the chemistry, the love that uh, the chemistry between Aaron Gordon and Jokic, the fact that uh, Aaron Gordon doesn't need to have any plays call for him, uh, the fact that basically he just he just eats off of everybody else in terms of you know, tell me, Jokic, what to do. Tell me in terms of, I'm going to dive, I'm going to cut, I'm going to do my thing. He takes advantage of physical mismatches. So Aaron Gordon has become really that 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 perfect complement uh, to that Nuggets starting five. Michael Porter Jr. hasn't gotten any better, but he's still a guy that for a, a stretch in a quarter can get hot from the three-point line. Still doesn't take the ball to the basket, but with Jokic, Jokic is just awesome, and again, that pick and Murray that he does with Jamal, uh, uh, with Jamal Murray, him and Jokic, devastating, devastating. The only thing, the only possible thing that might cause a little hmm when it comes to Denver is how do they do with Jokic on the bench? Because when he's on the bench, Denver gets a lot worse than when he is on the court. And B, what about the knee injury of Jamal Murray? That's the only thing. That's the only thing that I could think of in terms of what should be the biggest worry for the um, Denver Nuggets. Murray this season has played 41 games. He's managing a painful knee. I don't know if it's bone on bone. I was watching, I was listening to the Hoop Collective with uh, Brian Windhorse, and he was talking about the injury that uh, Murray had made him questionable up till game time with the Warriors. But this is a situation where you're going to need rest for that thing to get better. And right now, if the Nuggets want to take advantage of that home court advantage playing at that high altitude during the playoffs to having game seven in that situation at home. Not like, unlike last year where they kind of coasted, rested Jokic, rested Murray, got them ready for the uh, playoffs because they had uh, secured the number one playoff spot. This season, a lot different. This season, you've got the LA Clippers breathing down your necks. You've got Minnesota and Oklahoma City and they ain't going nowhere. So when you have Jamal Murray play 41 games, average 20 points, four rebounds, six and a half assists, Jamal Murray really is going to be the key with the assumption that Jokic is still going to be Jokic. Jokic can still be Jokic. Denver without Murray is not winning the NBA championship. 
I don't think they beat the Clippers without Murray. I don't think that they beat the Timberwolves without Murray. And I don't think they beat the Oklahoma City Thunder without Jamal Murray. So there you go. The Clippers, speaking of the Clippers, 37-19, two and a half games out of the first place. Been had the Western Conference best record, 34 and 12 since mid-November, but they fell to two or six in the games played between them and the top four teams in the West. Again, lost by 22 at Oklahoma City. Lost on uh, Sunday night to uh, Sacramento. They played with uh, Kawhi Leonard and James Harden. Those two went two for 16 outside of the paint. So Clipper fans, Clipper, Clipper, Clippers. Let me ask you, man, what's up with them? You worried? You nervous? You concerned? What's the deal? What's the deal with that? Because um, you still got Kawhi, right? Now, the key is is that Paul George missed the last game, all right? Now, for the Clippers, again, what, what has been the bugaboo? What has been the main sticking point? What has been... What has been the obstacle that the Clippers have not been able to get over since the pairing of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard? It's been health. It's been health. Torn meniscus. Missed the entire season for Kawhi Leonard. Paul George getting injured last year. It's been health for the Clippers. If the Clippers are healthy, relatively healthy, if Kawhi can be like Kawhi this season, if Paul George can play like he did this season, the Clippers have a chance not just only to win the Western Conference, they have a chance to win the championship. Now, a lot of this, again, if we're going to be speaking about the Clippers winning the championship, yes, the responsibility falls to Kawhi Leonard. Second, it falls to Paul George. But, man, they're going to need James Harden. They're going to need James Harden. Look, the three-headed monster at the center position, I think when you're speaking about Zubac, when you think about Tice, when you think about Mason Pumley, I think over 48 minutes, the hope is that they can bump and grind Nikola Jokic over a seven-game series, especially if it goes six or seven games, and then have Kawhi do his thing because Kawhi has always been a top-notch uh, playoff player. You saw before he got injured against Dallas how devastatingly awesome that guy was. So if, from the offensive standpoint, if Kawhi Leonard can elevate, Paul George can follow the lead, and then again, the three-headed triumphant of Pumley, Zubac, and Tice can wear down Nikola Jokic enough, not stop him, but slow him down enough that a hobbled Jamal Murray can raise this game to the point to where it helps him or to where it mitigates that uh, the, the, the load that Nikola Jokic is going to have. There could be a possibility where the Nuggets, who are still trying to formulate their bench with Christian uh, Brown and also Peyton Watson, they don't step up. They don't take the place of what Bruce Brown and Jeff Green gave them last season. So if... The Nuggets are going to go down to the Clippers, or if the Clippers are going to beat the Nuggets and then move on against the Timberwolves or against the Phoenix Suns or against the Oklahoma City Thunders, Thunder, they're going to need um, they're going to need James Harden. 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 Yet they are. Are they going to need James Harden, Wendell? They're going to need James Harden. So it's a situation where, yeah, they don't need to have James Harden be the guy that Philadelphia wanted him to be. James Harden doesn't need to be the guy that Houston wanted him to be when he was clearly one of the best players, if not the best player in the NBA during a regular season. But if they're going to want to move on and win an NBA championship, they got to get something from the third banana of James Harden, which is, again, on the, on the assumption 
that Kawhi is going to be playing at a high level, that Paul George is going to recover from his injury and come back and be fine. They're going to need something from James Harden. He, he, he can't run and hide. He can't run and hide. The Clippers are good enough without James Harden to possibly make it to the second round, even to the Western Conference Finals. But for them to win a championship, I don't want James Harden to be the guy that he was in Houston. I don't want him to be the guy that he was in Philadelphia in terms of expectations are concerned or, 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 or responsibilities are concerned. But I do need him to uh, gravitate, to elevate to a much higher level of play. And when I say higher, higher uh, elevate to a much higher level of play, I'm speaking about a lot higher than he was with the playoff performances he put when he was with Houston and when he was with Philadelphia. So we will we will see about that. So quickly, let me go ahead and get through with all the rest of these. I'm not going to talk about Golden State, and I'm not going to be talking about the Lakers. I'm kind of tired. I need a I need I need a Laker break. I need a LeBron break. That's, I'm not I'm not hating on LeBron, but I mean I'm just I'm just tired. I don't want to talk about LeBron. I just I just, I just don't want to talk about LeBron and the Lakers. I don't want to be meandering and speaking about a team that's in ninth and tenth place. I just don't. I'm just it, it, it doesn't interest me right now. You know, just because he's LeBron, just because they're the Lakers, just because you have Steph Curry, and just because you have Golden State, man, that game against the Denver Nuggets just said just showed clear as day. And just because Golden State has won, have won 8 out of 10, just because they've been hot, don't sit there and talk about, ooh, Golden State, Golden State, Golden State. Are they going to beat? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I spoke about Golden State uh, last week on my last podcast. Are you going to really put your trust in Jonathan Kaminga being the second best player on the team? Because he is right now behind Steph. As of right now, as of right now, I don't think Clay's going to get better. Clay coming off the bench, yo, he'll have his moments, but to be impactful in a game or a series, that Clay Thompson is gone. I don't even think Clay Thompson even has that responsibility anymore in any way, shape, or form. I think anything after 15, 18 points they get from Clay Thompson is going to be gravy. But who else on that team? Draymond? Kevin Kevon Looney? Especially when you're speaking about the Golden State Warriors, their best team is that small lineup, which includes Kaminga, which includes Wiggins, which includes Draymond, which includes um, Steph Curry, which includes Brandon Prozinski, whatever that guy's name was, the white boy from uh, Santa Clara, Mount St. Mary, somewhere. I mean, that, that, that lineup, that's Golden State's best lineup. That lineup ain't beating Denver. That lineup ain't beating Minnesota. That lineup ain't beating the Clippers. That lineup ain't beating the uh, Thunder. No, no, no. I don't give a damn how great Stephen Curry is. No, no. Not unless he shoots 30 for 33 from the three-point line in four of the four of the seven games. No, Golden State, no. No, it ain't happening. So, sorry I went on about Golden State, but no, I don't feel like talking about them. No, I don't feel like talking about the Lakers. No, I don't care that LeBron signing in the offseason, he wants a two-year deal and about his son. No, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I know he missed the uh, game uh, game on, uh, not Sunday, the first game back. San Antonio? What was, the, what was the Lakers' first game back? I watched them against the Spurs. I watched them against Phoenix. Who did they lose to coming out the gate post-All-Star break where he was out with an ankle injury? Oh, I don't know. Hey, man, you be 54 and try to remember what you did 15 minutes ago, and good luck on that one. But, uh, yeah, for the base, for the most part, not interested in uh, going on and on about the uh, about the Lakers. Just not. Have them, have them do something. Make some moves for real in terms of on the court. I'm not talking about trades or anything like that. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie came to the team, and everybody's like, oh, shit. 
Like all of a sudden they traded for uh, Joel Embiid or something like that. Like all of a sudden Luka's going to be coming to the squad. Spencer Dinwiddie. Come on, man. Really? That's supposed to get me excited? That's supposed to get me running up and down the streets going, yoo-hoo! Come on, man. Enough. Enough. I want to talk about the, just to end the program, because look, Sacramento, Phoenix, New Orleans, Dallas, basically they're two and a half games behind each other for fifth place and for eighth place. And the way that the schedule's going, man, I could be up here next Tuesday talking about Sacramento, who's right now in fifth or sixth. They could be out. They could be in eighth. Dallas, they could be in fifth. Phoenix, they could be in fifth, or they could be out of the playoffs. New Orleans, who knows? Again, New Orleans, I don't know what to make of those guys. Phoenix, they're not doing anything unless Bradley Beal comes back. I mean, the pressure and the responsibilities that are being put on Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are enormous. And unless they go nuclear during the playoffs like they did for a couple of games against Denver, they're not going anywhere. Now, I think Yusef Nurkic, Nurkic, the Bosnian Bear, has gotten a lot better as the season has went along. I think Grayson Allen is playing his best basketball of his NBA career. Uh, but without Bradley Beal, no, they're not going anywhere. And Bradley Beal, first it was his back, then it was his nose, then it was his shoulder, then it was his ankle, and now it's back to his hamstring. I mean, my man has only played in, what, 20-something games so far? Now, when he's played with both Booker and Durant, Phoenix, from an offensive standpoint, has been fantastic. And again, I think that Nurkic gives them enough girth underneath the basket to uh, do some things in the playoff in terms of making some real noise. But, man, if you're, if you're going to go into the uh, series, if you're going to go into a playoff series, especially against some of the better teams without Bradley Beal, and have to rely on 36, 5, 36, 30-something-year-old Kevin Durant playing the heavy minutes and doing the heavy lifting along with Devin Booker from the point guard position, you ain't going to go anywhere. You're not going to do anything. Sacramento, again, I don't know what to make of those guys. Sacramento, again, looks good against the Clippers, and then they lose to uh, then they lose at home to uh, Miami. Darren Fox and uh, DeMontis Sabonis, okay. But, again, this is a situation where that Sabonis, who's an all-star, quasi-all-star, close to an all-star, good enough to be an all-star, but has he improved his game as in is he able to make a 10 to 12, 15 footer in the playoffs? Or is it going to be just a rewind of what we saw from last season's playoff game, a series against the Golden State Warriors where Draymond was basically begging him to shoot from the three throw line and Sabonis wouldn't do it, which clogged up the um, which clogged up the paint, so players like Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox wouldn't be able to get to the basket as much because who gives a fuck? I'm just gonna lay off and um, let uh, Devontae Sabonis catch the ball from 18 feet, 15 feet, top of the key, foul line extended, foul line, and just sit there and be like, should I shoot? Should I shoot? Shouldn't I shoot? What should I do with this? So for Sacramento. I don't know, man. I don't know. You still have Harrison Barnes on your team. You needed to uh, make an upgrade there. They didn't. Um, Kevin Herter, up and down with him. Keegan Murray, he's gotten better uh, this season than his, than his uh, rookie season and season before. But still, I mean, you're going to be, are you looking to really count on him? So I think Sacramento is really missing that one scoring piece from the front court to uh, really make some noise in the uh, Western Conference and move on. So there you go. 
All right. Um. You know what? It's it's been so it's been so long. Uh, this podcast. So I'm going to end it right now. I'll speak about my Georgetown Hoyas on my next podcast. Um. Maybe you know tearing them apart. I don't know. They're they're not going to beat Villanova, and I don't know who they got Xavier this weekend at home. They're not going to beat them either. So I'll be in a much more sour and dour and foul mood to uh, speak about my Hoyas. But the light at the end of the tunnel from what I was reading from Hilltop News, the um, the uh, blog featuring the Hoyas. Uh, some really good stuff from that article and the future. Why it, held, it why it has me in such a giddy mood. Not Josh Giddy, because I'm not going to be hanging around high schools looking for females too, but uh, in a other giddy mood. So yeah, there's the deal. want to thank everybody for listening to my podcast. Again, uh, download, subscribe, rate, review, do all that good stuff. And always remember, y'all, please, 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 like I was James Brown. See what we can do something to add more love, more unity, more respect to our society. Man, we don't need any more division. We don't need any of that, man. We need love. We need peace and we need unity. I'm going to do my part. Hopefully you can do your part. And uh, let's see what happens. God willing, I'll still be here in a week when I'll be speaking to you again. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. Get me out of here with some music.